Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Thanks, Pastor Joe and uh, Pastor Linda, Pastor James. Thanks for having me here. And thank you for your support and your prayers. I felt them while we were in Bangladesh. And uh, just incredible. You'll have to give me some time to process what all God did and uh, before I can really go into great detail. But Maybe in the future, if time allows, uh, I'll be able to bring a few pictures, a few, maybe some videos uh, to briefly uh, show you. But God is, God is alive and well in Bangladesh, and He's doing great things. And uh, just to see His glory, our theme verse when we went with Psalm 96, uh, declare my glory among the nations. And that's what, that's what God is doing. He is making Himself known. He's making Himself more famous. So pray for the uh, Bangladeshi church members there. You know, as Westerners, we're treated as, as royalty. Quite frankly, everywhere I went on the streets, people stopped me and wanted to take selfies because of the huge white guy walking through. They had never seen, so they were... Um, and, uh, and when they found out we were Christians, even that, like, uh, no big deal. Um, the government is technically secular, um, but it's 90% Muslim, and there's a lot of persecution, but we didn't really feel that. And, and the churches that were there didn't really feel it, but um, if a Muslim converts to Christianity... Tremendous persecution, and you can read about that on Voice of the Martyrs, uh, persecution.org. The, they are the ones who really need great prayer and great support. It takes great courage uh, for someone who's a Muslim background believer to then convert to Christianity. They're the ones who really feel the brunt of persecution. And so I hope you'll pray and give, and if the Lord opens an opportunity, maybe even go. Maybe he's calling you to go and to serve there in Bangladesh or across the street, wherever it is we're on mission for him. So anyway, thanks again for the prayers and for the support. I really uh, felt that. Uh, today, we're, uh, we're narrowing in here, Advent. I mean, Steve's got the Christmas tie. It can only mean one thing. It's, uh, it's here again. And uh, uh, for many of you, Christmas was the thing you waited for year and year. Now, as you get older, isn't it true? Christmas comes faster every year. It's like now, now in your 30s, it's like, oh man, it's Christmas still good. 40s, 50s, it's like Christmas is every Tuesday. Like, oh, it's Christmas again. Um, and uh, in, in, you know, in gearing up for that, I'm going to start with a question, uh, and it, the question is sort of a survey, and it's a very simple question, simple poll. Uh, are you a cheapskate? Okay, I'm going to rephrase the question. Is anyone here today married to a cheapskate? <laughs> sort of help. Yeah, okay, okay, raise your hand, yeah. Uh, now, when I say are you a cheapskate, there's obviously all kinds of standards you could use to answer that question. I want you to know I'm not talking about you clip coupons and you hunt for the best deal, okay? Everybody does that. I'm talking about when you check into the hotel, the first thing you do is check the couch in the hotel lobby for loose change, right? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, some of you are like, oh, that's ridiculous. Others of you, you know who you are. You're like, I never thought of that. I am couch foraging. That's my new thing. Yeah, I'm doing that. You know, it's funny, my assistant pastor, A.J. Kumar, and one of the great things about heaven is you'll get to meet every, all these other brothers and sisters, and everybody, there's no such thing as a category. You're not a category. You're a long story. And it's cool to hear your long story. I wish I had time to tell you the long story of my assistant pastor and best buddy, A.J. Kumar, James has met him and worked with him. Pastor A.J. is a senior systems analyst for Bank of America. He's a computer geek, but uh, also uh, works volunteer as our assistant pastor. So Bank of America has paid our assistant pastor for years. It's really great of them. Uh, (laughs) uh, But anyway, when I asked A.J., I said, hey, A.J., real quick, I need some examples of cheapskate. Um, Anything come to mind? And without hesitation, he says, oh, you mean like when you go to a New York City public park to forage the greenery for a salad? 
like so many questions came to mind. I was like, he didn't have to think about it. I was like, have you done this? Are you, do- are you homeless? Like, yes or no? I need to know, man. City on a Hill will feed you on Thanksgiving, but I, like, what are you doing? Anyway, that's what I'm talking about. Cheapskate. No matter how much of a cheapskate you are or how much of a cheapskate you are currently married to, you have never, there is a Guinness Book of World Records entry for history's greatest miser, history's greatest cheapskate. And no, it's none of you. Uh, the, the true story, Henrietta Green. You know about Henrietta Green? Hetty Green. She died about 100 years ago. She was known as, before there was the wolf of Wall Street, there was the witch of Wall Street. She was this really shrewd businesswoman, very, very successful financially. Estimates of her net worth, and again, she died in about uh, 1916. Estimates of her net worth range from anywhere 100 million to 200 million, which in today's money is 2.17 billion to 4.33 billion dollars in today's money. That made her arguably the richest woman in the world at her time. You know how much a billion dollars is? Does everybody understand? You could spend a thousand dollars a day. You know how long it would take you to burn through a billion dollars? It would take you a million days. A thousand sets of one million. You know how it would be cool to have a million dollars? Imagine a thousand of them. That's one billion. She's got four. So trillion is just imaginary numbers, by the way. But billion is a ton of money. Uh, a thousand times a million. Anywho, uh, there are stories about this, this great wealth. Listen to these stories. Just some examples. She was said to never turn on the heat or ever use hot water. Cost too much money. You got four billion dollars. Think you can turn on the hot water, Hetty? She had one old black dress. She had undergarments that she changed only after they'd been worn out. And she didn't wash her hands, right? Might cost too much. Rode in an old carriage. She ate mostly pies that cost 15 cents. Uh, She once spent half the night searching her carriage for a lost stamp because it was worth two cents. And she told her laundress to wash only the dirtiest parts of her dress, just the hems, so that it would save money on soap. Four billion dollars, yeah. Now that stuff's just annoying but kind of laughable. You say, oh man, come on, doesn't she know how how rich she is? But haha, okay, so she's a miser. But it's not fun and games when her lifestyle began affecting what was common sense? I mean, people she loved. Listen to this tragedy. When her son Ned broke his leg as a child, Hetty tried to have him admitted to a free clinic for the poor. They obviously found out about it and kicked her out of the free clinic, saying, You could buy 10 of these. We're not, you know, this is for people who need the help. After searching around, he eventually got some treatment, but his leg never did heal properly because of the delay in treatment. And after years of being treated, it eventually had to be amputated. So your son loses his leg because of, uh, meanwhile, you got $4 billion in the bank. Now, everybody feels that when I tell that story. You go, man, such a shame to be that rich and to live that poor. I mean, I could see like being rich but trying to live humbly. That's not what we're talking about at all. This is just foolishness. To be this rich and to live that poorly. And yet, the point of this sermon today, in my own life I feel this. Maybe you feel like I do. I have been guilty of that very thing spiritually. I've been guilty of that very thing spiritually. It is possible for me, it is possible for you, if you are a Christian today, to have all we need in Christ and to live as if what I need is somewhere out there, elsewhere. For someone to deem me worthy and approved, think about what I'll do to get that. Think about what you'll do to get that. Somewhere deep down, we're all sixth grade middle schoolers, just desperate for approval. There's something inside of all of us that's that moment after you get your cafeteria lunch tray where you turn around going, please, somebody invite me to your table. All of us feel that. 
Some of us literally, like the kids in Kidmo are like, yes, that is my world. That's exactly what I feel. But even though some of us don't feel that, we still feel it deep inside. And we are willing to uh, uh, do kind of, we are willing to sin. We're willing to change who we are. I will be who you need me to be if you'll approve me. I'm living like a spiritual, uh, like, 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 I'm miserly, Spirit, uh, like, like I'm poor. To be part of the inner ring. Think about what you'll do. Isn't that sweet? To be the person in the office that always is in the loop. Or that person in school that always knows her. And that group of friends. Isn't that sweet to be let in on what Lewis calls the great secret? Be on the inner ring. Oh, it's sweet. And many of us would sell our souls to be on the inside of that group. When in fact what we're looking for we already have. To be chosen. The list could go on and on. Now I'm not saying you don't need to feel approval. We all need that. But the point of today is this. You already possess the spiritual blessings that you are striving and maybe even sinning to get. That's the point of the sermon. So I will repeat it because you're like, oh, that that was the point and I I missed it. Okay. Uh, The point of today's sermon, you already possess all the spiritual blessings that you're striving so hard, possibly even willing to sin to obtain. You already have. You're already right now. It is possible that you'll leave here and you will do a sin to get what you already have. Like Hetty Green foraging her carriage for a little bit of money when she's got four billion in the bank. We do the same thing spiritually. And so we have a catalog of what we've already been given. And that's good. Is there, is there a better time of the year to catalog the blessings we already have than in the crazed, mindless, consumeristic moments of Black Friday to Christmas, you know? Is there a, really, is there a better time to do that? I heard a guy, uh, a great quote, he said, uh, 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 May the list of things you're thankful for always be longer than your Christmas wish list. That's pretty good, right? That our hearts would be full of gratitude. Uh, so it, that, that list of things, I, I nominate for you today that list of Ephesians chapter 1. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll also have them up here on the screen so you can follow along. And here Paul gives this, this monstrous sentence. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, of, of, and he's describing all the blessings we have in Christ. So turn there, Ephesians 1, 3, and I'll just read the thing straight through. Now I want you to notice as I'm reading this, that, 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 that this was one sentence. This, from Ephesians 1, 3, all the way down to verse 14, it's one sentence in Greek. A 202 word sentence. One commentator calls it a monstrosity, which I think is pretty harsh to call scripture monstrous, but he's right. This thing goes on and on. In fact, in your English version, you no doubt, your translators, they just had to give up. They're like, I'm sorry, we need a period here. We, we need a comma or a semicolon or something. They, they couldn't hang with Paul, but he went the whole way, 202, didn't take a breath. The whole thing is one sentence where he just sort of it just loses it. He starts talking about all the things we have in Jesus Christ. And he just goes, now I know you've never experienced a pastor who got so passionate about what he was preaching that he just sort of went off on a tangent. That's never happened to you, perhaps. But here, the Apostle Paul, that's totally what happens. And he just goes off. So there's no better way to do it. I'm just going to read the whole thing. This breathless 202-word Greek sentence without any punctuation. And uh, then, we'll, then we'll go back and break it down and be done. But this, this is the sentence. Can you advance the slides for me so I can read? Because I'm not going to be able to. I can't, you know what I mean? I can't walk and chew gum. So as I, as I read it, you just uh, move them forward. Thanks, Scott. Good man. Verse 3. 
Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with. In the beloved, we have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfillment. To bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth, in him we've also received an inheritance, in him predestined, according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will, so that we who'd already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. When you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Paul just drops the mic. Peace. So good, right? This one breathless sentence of what you have in Christ. Do you know how rich you are in Christ this morning? Do you know what you have? This is not hypothetical. Here are the things you could have. If you'll go out here today and behave properly and stop sinning, maybe, just maybe, you'll get a little taste of some blessing. This is who you are. These are the, this is the spiritual wealth you have in Christ. Not who you could be. Not, well, if you clean your act up a little bit or if you start living a little more Christian, you'll never clean your act up until you realize the great wealth you have in Jesus Christ spiritually you're balling I tried uh, <laughs> we're loaded so here we go uh, look, look for example at verse 3 uh, uh, verse 3 yeah praise yeah here yeah, you go praise the how, what do we have in Jesus Christ praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ look at what the Bible says who's blessed us in Christ with 90% of the blessings we need, leaving us to get the, the other 10%. Is that what it says? No, 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 no. He's blessed us in Christ with most every spiritual blessing. No, no, no. He's, what's this word? He's blessed us in Christ with... I mean, every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Don't just move past that verse. It means what it says. It's the word of God. You've been blessed. With every spiritual blessing in the heaven. You don't, God didn't get you on a good path and leave you to top up. Uh, you know, like people uh, top off their, their fuel tank. Like, well, here, I got you most of the way, but here, top up. No, you have it. Whether or not you're accessing it is another sermon. But it is your, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Now, one, one thing we should pause here, if you're like me. You read this and you go, well, I don't feel very blessed. And, and Tom's here talking about all this wealth and who I am as a Christian and, and what I have. Man, I, I don't really feel it. And for some of you, go, oh, I see why. I see why. Because you read this verse and it says, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And for many of you, you're in church, so you know you're supposed to be excited about a spiritual blessing. But be honest, for some of you in your heart, when you read spiritual blessing, your heart went, wah, wah. <laughs> like, oh, spiritual blessing. Awesome. Right? Which is the same as worthless for many people, right? It's like saying, would you rather have a million dollars or a spiritual million dollars? Hoping for the million bucks, you know. It's like, there's a tease. Um, Here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about that. Uh, Actually, there are two things about that. Number one, uh, not only do you... 
What you don't see is the real power. We think, well, a lot of us think spiritual means somehow less real. When in fact, spiritual, if anything, means more real. What I want you to see is that is exactly what you want. Just take my silly example just now. Would you rather have a million dollars or a spiritual million dollars? Everybody goes, give me the million dollars. But what's the real power behind us wanting the million dollars? What if instead we had some sort of contentment? There's a spiritual force at work that goes even greater than the million dollars. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? That's the real power in the world. And on top of that, right, on top of that, we, we, when we say that it's the real power, it's also, we fail to see that everything is spiritual. Everything's spiritual. And the Bible says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, now ponder that. Have you been asking for things that you already have? I do it all the time. And probably sometimes we just do it out of habit. But many times, I'll, for example, I'll pray. I'll say something like this. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just pray you would be with me tonight. God's like, well, where did you think I was? Like, I fill heaven and earth, but I walled out a brief area around you where I wasn't going to go. <laughs> but you were thoughtful enough to ask me to be with you. And so I will expand the molecule, like, right? Um, I've done it. I've done it. God, I just pray you'd be with me. Uh, now, on the other hand, this can be taken too far. You are not to become the prayer police. So now, if you go to a prayer meeting and somebody says, Father, I pray you'd be with us, don't in the middle of their prayer, fool, know ye not, Ephesians 1, 3, because everyone will ask you to pray alone from now on. You are not invited to prayer time ever again. That's called being a jerk. Don't do it, okay? You're not the prayer police. And you don't have to decide, like, well, Pastor Tom said, don't ask for things I already have. So, Lord, I don't know if I need this or if I want this or, you know, but can I have some daily bread? Just uh, leave it up to God. We're his kids. We ask. If you don't know if it's a want or a need, you can't decide. Here's my philosophy. Ask. And he'll determine whether it's a want or a need. You know, the only thing God wants is for you not to be like a stubborn uh, a, a spoiled child who, when the answer is no, demands that the answer be yes. He has no problem with you asking. You can ask all you want and should. Jesus himself prays for daily bread. But, but in a larger sense, I, I do want us to see, I don't want us to miss the point that we have every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavens. Everything is spiritual. There's power in the spiritual realm. How can I say that everything is spiritual and that what you really want is a spiritual blessing? How about this? For, um, for some of you, uh, there's a big struggle, uh, many of us, with uh, overeating, right? And you could say that um, uh, overeating is such a physical thing. It's chemical, is it not? I mean, it's, it's really very simple. There's an amount of calories your body needs to sustain. Those amount of calories are input, and the exercise you do is calorie output. As long as input equals output, there's a net zero at the end of the day, and you sort of maintain equal weight. That's such a physical thing. But everybody who struggles with overeating will tell you it's not that simple, is it? That there's spiritual dimensions to that emotional uh, psychological all that goes into it and they're absolutely right everything is spiritual uh, uh i i could think i i was reading a c.s lewis uh, book and he wasn't making this point but it made me think of this one um is it a sin to uh, stomp your foot right no it's not is it a sin to stomp your foot on a piece of wood right? no it's not. These are just physical actions that I'm doing here, right? Stomp your foot on a piece of wood. But say I took a piece of wood and fashioned it into a beautiful cross, right? And we all think about the cross on which Jesus died. And I put it on the ground. I said, stomp on that. You wouldn't do it. Neither would I. Why not? What, what prevented me from doing that? Don't tell me there's not a spiritual reality 
going on. The idea that something prevented me from doing that, it's just a physical, but I wouldn't do it. Why? You'd say, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's just the, but the, that's the, like, that represents this beautiful thing. And to stomp on it, just, I don't know, it wouldn't be right. Just, I don't know, it just wouldn't be right. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to play this game anymore, right? That's a spiritual reality at work in a very simple example. There's something that prevented you from doing that, and that's a spiritual power going on. We see it all over our nation, right? I mean, how much more news can we bear of uh, violence done against each... I mean, we're, our nation's being ripped apart by this violence. Don't tell me it's as simple, simple as physical realities, be it police shootings or be it these, these school shootings. As, you know, uh, don't tell me that these are just physical realities. There's evil in the world. We're not surprised by that. We're Christians. We understand evil, uh, but these are spiritual realities at work. When ISIS terrorists behead a Westerner, don't tell me that that's combat, that's physical. There are spiritual forces at work. And there are great spiritual blessings. There's great spiritual power that you need to overcome in this life. So what you actually really want is what Paul says you have in spades. You've got every spiritual blessing and it's found in Christ. You say, say, well, all right, but I mean, that's so nebulous. Every spiritual blessing. I mean, could you, could you maybe give me some examples? And Paul's like, I'm so glad you asked. Yes, I can give you examples. I'm just getting warmed up. I got 192 words left in this sentence. That's absolutely what I'm going to do. And he starts giving examples. He says, for example, here's an example of one of the spiritual blessings you have. Here's who you are. Election. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with. In the beloved. Now, the, the, the point of these verses is that he chose us. And he chose us to be adopted into his family. We who were enemies of God, we were spiritually dead, spiritually orphaned. He came and with great love found us. If you are new to the scriptures, if you're brand new to the Bible, or if you're just coming back to the Bible after years and years, you come back into church, these verses are just, you probably read them and you just want to start crying. When you think about, you know, you didn't come here like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm happy to get back with God. But when you think about what was actually going on was he was coming to you. And he found you. And you read them and you're like, yes. You just stand before them like, yes, praise the Lord. He chose me. Like, you know what it feels like to get picked for the team? He did that for me. And you're just, then as you study the Bible for a long time and begin hanging out with people, they actually get, there's people who actually get a little hung up on this because it talks about he chose us in him. We are elect in him. He predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ. And you start, you start scratching your head and you're like, well, does that mean like, did we have free will? Do we have, do we have a choice in the matter? Are, are we elect? And, and, and if so, you know, what does that mean? There are people who, who follow the teachings of John Calvin who really go, did a good job of articulating the doctrine of election. They're called Calvinists. Others say, well, no, I can't get with that. And so they, they, they get roughly grouped as this thing, Arminian or whatever. But the, the, the thing that, that Calvinists and Arminians will all agree on with this verse, it's so exciting, is this. No matter no matter which side of this theological debate you're on, and again, you have to sort of be in church for a while to uh, uh, really kind of appreciate the nuances of this, of this debate, but, but no matter what, isn't this great? No ma- everybody on both sides, they would say this, the whole idea of salvation, it didn't originate in the heart of a human. It originated in the heart of God. 
And I mean every kind of Christian, from, from the, the most strictest double predestination, five-point Calvinist, all the way to the Arminian, all the way to the people like, I'm sorry, I missed this. What's a Calvinist? Everybody in between, they would rejoice in this great news that the plan of salvation didn't originate with you. It didn't originate with me. It originated in the heart of God. And if you're somebody who's like, I, I can't get with that predestination thing, I would encourage you to check out Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. And if, on the other hand, if you're somebody who's like, I can only get into the double predestination thing, I would point out to you all through the scriptures when it says predestined, it's, it, it doesn't talk that we're predestined as people. We're predestined for a purpose. The emphasis is always on the predestination for a purpose. It deals with purpose, not people. And here it's the same thing. We have a purpose to be predestined to adoption through Jesus Christ for himself. I will never, I will never exhaust the doctrine of adoption in my preaching. I, I, if, if the Lord tarries and I get to live a long time and get to continue preaching, I will continually preach on this idea of adoption. Because I'm convinced if you understand adoption, there may be people in here who are adopted or you've adopted children. If you understand the beauty of that, of that moment, you understand so much of New Testament theology. And so I don't think I'll ever wear out the idea of what that means, that he adopted us, and, but I'm going to try and I found this uh, story in a book by Max Lucado called Grace. Highly recommend. And uh, when I read this, I was like, this is unbelievable. It's a guy named Lee Nailing, who some of you may know. He's a Christian, wrote a few books. He died in 2001. It's going to take me about four and a half minutes to share with you his story. All I can promise is I think it's worth it. That's it. Um, between 1854, Lee Nailing tells his story. And you need a little bit of background. Between 1854 and 1929, this was news to me. Approximately 150,000 orphans and disadvantaged children living in the streets, crowded orphanages, and poverty-stricken homes of eastern cities were transported by rail to rural towns in the Midwest to begin new lives with adoptive families. I mean, this is very crude, primitive foster care, really. You got uh, kids that are either orphaned or are so disadvantaged that the parents sort of give them up for adoption foster care with the hope that one day when we're back on our feet we'll be able to reconnect but we cannot continue to live here in the slums of boston or the slums of new york or philly or whatever and they would load them up on these trains and say well maybe you could have a fresh start in kansas you know they got lots of room in kansas and lots of families out there you know it's kind of typical new york eh, kansas kentucky whatever midwest they're all friendly they have walmart <laughs> that kind of thinking's been around a hundred years and uh 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 it's so funny when you ask like a true new yorker show me kentucky on a map they're like yeah west of jersey anyway uh <laughs> They loaded them up on these trains. 150,000 kids, can you imagine? Load them up on these trains. And literally, start out west. You get to St. Louis, you stop there. Line up, kids. Uh, these kids got foster homes. Everybody else, back on the train. You go to all, all the way to San Diego or whatever. Then you come right back. Can you imagine? Um, Lee Nailing was on that orphan train. He was one of the kids on that orphan train. These are his words. Papa had struggled to keep us together after Mama died, but unemployment had forced him to separate us. Him and his brother. Now, since I was the oldest, I've been, oh, brothers, I've been instructed to look after my brothers. As we moved closer to the steps, I wanted to grab them by the hands and run away, but I knew I couldn't. Instead, I reached into my coat pocket. The pink stamped envelope with Papa's name and address on it made a crackling sound as I touched it. He'd given it to me the day before when he visited the orphanage to say goodbye. When you get settled, write me, he said. Then tears began running down his face. So his only link to his dad is this pink envelope. He woke the next morning to find that the, and I'll fast forward through this part of the story, but the letter had been stolen by this cruel woman on the train. He said, it's better to have a clean break. So his only connection to his father was stolen from him, and he didn't have that anymore. And this isn't, by the way, some happy ending where, like, the dad comes and they re-embrace. That, 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 that's what happened. He did not, in fact, see his father again. So he was filled with hate. 
That's his point. Filled with hate. Separated from his brothers. And then he was taken to a home where eventually he did get adopted in a foster home, but was forced to leave after a few days because he did a, again, I'm fast forwarding. He basically did a chore wrong that led to the death of this farmer's chickens. And so, again, filled with hate, rejection, hate. He determined that whatever home he ended up in, he would run away. That was his plan. Filled with hate. So then fast forward. Here we go. A tall, dark-haired man, he he arrives at this next place. A tall, dark-haired man dressed in overalls, followed by a small, plump woman in a blue dress and red-flowered apron, came out on the porch. As I approached, the man extended his hand, shook mine in a firm grip. We're the nailings, son, and we're glad you're going to live here with us. Not for long, I thought bitterly. That evening, I scrunched up in my chair as we ate supper, and after failing in their new attempts to draw me into conversation, they finally just stopped trying and we finished our meal in silence. Later, lying in the soft depths of the feather bed, I wanted so badly to cry. Cry for my lost pink envelope with Papa's writing, for my failure to keep my two brothers with me, and for the poor dead chickens. But my rage at the circumstances that brought me to this point wouldn't let me. Dry-eyed, I waited for first light so that I could run away. Isn't that something? So filled with rage, I couldn't breathe. The next thing I knew, the man was shaking me. Ugh. I was disappointed to see the sparkling morning sun lighting up the patchwork quilt. I'd overslept. I'd have to wait another day to run away. So I pulled on my clothes, walked in the warm kitchen. Like his big plan was, oh, was mad because he overslept. But Mr. and Ms. Nailing were already at the table. I slid into my seat, reached for a steaming biscuit, but Ms. Nailing stopped me. Not until we've said grace, she explained. I watched as they bowed their heads. Ms. Nailing began speaking softly to our father, thanking him for the food and the beautiful day. I knew enough about God to know that the woman's our father was the same one who was in the our father who art in heaven prayer that the visiting preachers had prayed at for us at the orphanage. But I couldn't understand why she was talking to him as though he were sitting here at the table waiting for his share of the biscuits. So I began to squirm in my chair. Then Mrs. Nailing, thank God, quote, for the privilege of raising a son. I stared as she began to smile. She was calling me a privilege? And Mr. Nailing must have agreed with her because he was beginning to smile too. For the first time since I boarded that train, I began to relax. A strange warm feeling began to fill my aloneness. I looked at the empty chair next to me. Maybe in some mysterious way, our father was seated there, was listening to the next softly spoken words. Help us make the right choices as we guide him and help him make the right choices too. Dig in, son. The man's voice startled me. I hadn't even noticed the amen. My mind had stopped at the choices part. As I heaped my plate, I thought about that hate and anger and running away. It seemed to be my only choices. But maybe there were others. This Mr. Nailing didn't seem so bad. This thing about having an Our Father to talk to shook me up a little, so I ate in silence. After breakfast, as they walked me to the barbershop for a haircut, we stopped at each of the six houses on the way. Each time, the Nailings introduced me as our new son. As we left the last house, I knew that at first light, I would not be running away. There was a hominess here I'd never known before. At least I could give it a try. And there was something else. Although I didn't know where Papa was or how I could write to him, I had the strong feeling that I had found not one but two new fathers. And I could talk to both of them. And that's the way it turned out. Lee Nailing, uh, as told by Max Lucado in the book Grace. I will never be able to exhaust the riches of this doctrine that we are God's adopted children. And he did not adopt us as we were waiting in sin's orphanage. He did not adopt us because we were the prettiest, we were the most handsome, we were the smartest, we were the best, we knew the most scripture. He adopted us freely. How does it say? Out of his grace, so that he gets the praise, so that he gets the glory. He came and found us, not based on any works you did to impress him, but strictly out of his great love. 
That we are God's adopted children. But you say, what if we mess up? You know, Lee Nailing got adopted by that first family, but he did the chore wrong and left the gate open and those chickens died. What if that happens to us, huh? What if we get saved, but then we mess up? What's the limit of his forgiveness? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Your forgiveness is limited, okay? Technically, yes, your forgiveness is limited in this sense. Your forgiveness is linked to something. It's tied to something. It is indexed to something. I have uh, friends who have invested money in something called index funds. In other words, they don't buy one stock and hope it goes up. They buy something that's grouped into all these little bitty stocks, and it's pegged to an index. So they'll buy a whole bunch of stocks that mimics the performance of the S&P 500, let's say. So here's the deal. If the S&P 500 goes up, their stocks go up. If it goes down, it goes down. They're not trying to beat the market. They're just trying to match the market, right? Their stocks are directly tied to the performance of the S&P 500. Your forgiveness is absolutely directly linked to something. And according to the scripture, it says we have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And that forgiveness is linked. It is according to how sorry you are. False. It is according to if you will stop messing up and get this right. No. What's it linked to? According to the riches of his grace. And he's rich in grace. Your forgiveness will run out on the day his grace does. I'm betting on his grace to outlast my need for forgiveness. And you are too. That's it. His grace is limitless and your forgiveness is tied. It's pegged to that limitless grace. Well, but, you know, this, this climax here, unfortunately, he lavished on us. And then he tells us, like, he let us in on this great plan. And I, I really just truly don't have time. This, this is the point of the whole universe. But we're going to skip it. Uh, <laughs> Verse 10, Paul, Paul writes down what the point of everything, the whole existence of the universe. And there's, so, there's this weird phrase for the administration of the days of fulfillment. But he wants to unite everything one day. He wants to bring everything in Christ. That will be, I, I will preach that sermon one day, God willing. But I, <laughs> and as adopted children, we also received an inheritance. How do we know we'll be made like him? And how do we know we'll receive the inheritance? It says here we've received an inheritance and all that predestination. But how do we know, you know, so that all that stuff uh, uh, that Gentiles and Jews together could bring praise? How do we know? It says because you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word here for sealed with the promised Holy Spirit is a pretty cool, pretty cool Greek word. He, he's the down payment of our inheritance. That word, uh, uh, down payment, that's the one. Down payment. It's, it's, it's cool. I say it's cool because in modern Greek and in biblical Greek, there's a bunch of differences. But there's also, every now and then, there'll be a similarity. And I have some Greeks in my church, so I called one up. And I was like, hey, is this true? Uh, and sure enough, um, so down payment is the modern-day Greek word. And it means what it means then. It means now. Uh, down payment is arabon or arabona. And it means uh, engagement ring. It's the same word. So the Holy Spirit is the engagement ring of our inheritance. What's an engagement ring do? Well, you're not married yet, but you got this big rock on your finger so that every time you look at it, you're like, I'm gonna get married, right? It's gonna happen, right? And you're high-fiving everybody. You're Pinterest. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing everything you can because it's coming. It's absolutely coming. And he said we'd get married. He said it, but the blah, blah, blah. But he liked it and he did, in fact, put a ring on it. And that means... That it is going to happen. Like, it gets real when there's rocks involved, man. When it comes to our salvation, 
We could have all kinds of, of doctrine. I mean, we could have all kinds of talk. But the Holy Spirit is our down payment. This is real, and it's going to happen. We, all this inheritance and this glorification and this, this belief and our faith will one day be made sight. It's going to happen. Why? The Holy Spirit inside of you. That's affirmation. And every time you feel his presence, every time. And Paul's looking at these Jews going, well, no doubt. Of course, you feel the Holy Spirit. But he's looking at these Gentiles going, are you kidding me? These crazy, pagan, godless Gentiles. Even they get in this story. Man, what are we? We're like, there's no longer Jew and Gentile. We're this crazy third race of this thing called the church it's gonna happen this is like we should hate each other and yet you've got the same holy spirit i've got the same holy spirit it's gonna happen and it's proof it's gonna happen this is the arabona this is the down payment that's what you have as a christian what what do you lack really like what, what do you lack what do you have to leave here today and go get from god that you don't right now have the answer is nothing so Enjoy it? I mean, that'd be good. You know the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You know that, right? Thank Him. Right? It's hard to be an idolater when you're so filled with gratitude. It's hard to worship things. You tend to worship the Creator again because your heart's so filled with gratitude. At great presumption. Great, trem- with tremendous presumption. Have you ever read the... Um, the paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. I love it. This pastor, Eugene Peterson, he tried to put the theological cookies on the low shelf. It's really good, especially if you're like, man, I can never get through numbers. Read The Message. You know, it's just like, like it, it's really, it's a good paraphrase. But he took, he took difficult passages, but by putting them in really modern English, he, he did that. So with tremendous presumption, I, like Eugene Peterson, tried to take this 202-word sentence and put it in my own words. And I'm going to read it to you. That's the presumptuous part. And you have to listen. Like, I mean, you could leave, but you're so nice, right? So whether you really want to hear it or not. Uh, so the 202-word sentence about the, the great wealth we have, every spiritual blessing in Christ, in Tom's own words, in modern English, for you. <clears throat> Yo, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. It's not that modern, not that modern. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> you ready? <clears throat> Here we go. It would be impossible to say enough good things about the God and Father of our Lord, the Messiah, Jesus. See, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Blessings you can't always see with your eyes. And as if that's not enough, consider he let Jesus represent us. Us. And he knew about all this before there was even a place called earth. And that means our destiny is to be holy and blameless in his sight. See, in love, he gave us this destiny to be adopted as sons and daughters. Adoption's not easy, and it sure ain't cheap, but the adoption agency, the mediator, the transporter, and the payer of all the adoption fees was none other than the Messiah Jesus. He did it all. Look, we could boast and brag all day long if this was our choice to come into the family of God, but it wasn't. It wasn't our decision to be adopted. It was his, and that means he and he alone And his grace get all the praise. Nobody had to twist his arm to make God love us. He freely bestowed his grace on us in Jesus, the beloved. And speaking of Jesus, in Jesus' blood we have redemption. And if we fall, our forgiveness is only as limited as the riches of his grace. 
His grace reminds us, you, you know, he reminds me, you know, he lavished it on us and he's letting us in on his master plan. God's not making this up as he goes along, you know. His plan, when the time is just right, is to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. The long wait to see whether or not we, God's chosen Jewish people, would get what we'd hoped for, all the blessings of the Messiah coming, is finally over. His dream, known all along to him, has come to pass that our lives should be to the praise of his glory. But here's the thing I can still hardly believe. You Gentiles, who we always assumed were on the outside, have heard the same gospel and you believed. The same Holy Spirit who is in us, protects us, and authenticates us to the world is in you too. The church, made up of Jews and Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit is like a brilliant diamond engagement ring to let the whole world know whose we are and whom we will glorify forever and ever. The, uh, the, in, in one, one last thing, in, uh, uh, about a hundred years ago, all my illustrations are from a hundred years ago, I'm sorry, I gotta update, it's like, <laughs> like Victorian sermon day, the, uh, William Randolph Hearst was a, a newspaper publisher, you've probably heard of him, what, what you may not know is he was an avid art collector and he invested a fortune in collecting art. And one day he read a description of certain art pieces he knew he simply had to have. So he sent his agent all over the world to locate these certain pieces of art um, with no luck. And he traveled all around the world at great cost. After months of searching all over the world, the agent finally comes to him and reports he had at long last found them. They were, in fact, in Mr. Hearst's warehouse. He owned them all along. Had he read the catalog of his own treasures, he could have saved immense time and money. All he had to do was read a catalog called Stuff I Already Own. (laughs) May I suggest to you that this week you read a catalog called Stuff You Already Own, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and read it until you believe it. Read it and read it and read it again so that you will not search down some blind alley to find a treasure that this passage says you already have in Christ. I'm all for, just to put a fine point on it, I'm all for confessing sins. Like, you need to do that. Got to do that. But what if that crosses a line into some sort of earning your salvation mode? Like, I'm all for good behavior and stuff, but what if it crosses a line? Wouldn't you say to that person, hey, don't you know Ephesians 1.7? You, you need to feel this feeling of being holy and blameless, so you work a little harder. You try to make yourself feel less guilt. Try to, try to please God. You'd say, man, don't you know Ephesians 1.7? Don't you know what you have? I'm all for making amends. Um, I know there are some people in here who need to forgive others, but there are some people in here who no matter what they do, they cannot get that person to forgive them. And that's a sermon they, they haven't heard preached on much. They're, they... they, they Preachers talk about forgiving others all the time. But what if you're in here, and no matter what you do, that person won't forgive you? I'm all for making amends. Do the best you can. Make amends. Yes. But what if you start to cross a line, and you think, if only I could work a little harder, if only I could convince that person to forgive me. You know what? My life is on hold until that person forgives me. Don't you know what you have? Ephesians 1.7, you have redemption in Him. Regardless of what, what happens on this earth. Yes, make amends. Yes. But, but, but y- your life is wrapped up in his forgiveness, not in what that person is willing or not willing to do right now. 
I'm a big fan of higher education. I hope you get crazy smart. I want you to be smart. I love higher education. But some people think that if they add another degree to the end of their name, then they'll get that secret, that true wisdom, that true understanding. When in fact the scriptures say wisdom comes from a totally different place. You get all the degrees in the world and still not get it. And he, God, has led us in on what he's doing in the universe. That's why Christians sometimes watch the news and they see things so clearly and it's so obvious to them. It is obvious to you. But don't hate because it's not obvious. Their eyes are darkened. I'm all for physical fitness. I want you to be fit and healthy, good shape. But what if that crosses a line? What if you begin hitting the gym thinking, if I were a little slimmer, a little younger, if I were a little prettier, then I'd be chosen. Then I could get him to love me. Then I could get her to love me. Then, then, then she would be happier. Then he, then, right? What happened there? Cross the line. You would say, don't you know what you already have in Christ? This week, dare to believe that you have these treasures, that you're rich in him and spend accordingly. No spiritual miserliness in this church this week, okay? Look how much you've been given. Let's, let's shower some grace on other people. Let's shower some gratitude on other When you drive home, you don't have a thing in the world to be angry about. You, with every spiritual blessing in Christ, we got enough to share. You know what I mean? Don't let your son's leg get amputated before you realize, like, you, 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 you're good, okay? We are rich. And so, Christians, let's let that love overflow to this world. I mean, spend like crazy these spiritual blessings on other people. I don't know, feed 1,300 people on Christmas Day, for example. You know, that, that kind of stuff. That's what it's about. Heavenly Father, thank you for the great riches you've lavished on us. Thank you that you've adopted us, and that means we're in your household awaiting your inheritance, and we have plenty of spiritual resources to spend on this world so that more and more people can come to know you, more and more people can experience your love, more and more people can know we're your disciples by the way we love one another. Father, thank you for not leaving us spiritual orphans. Thank you for choosing us long before we ever thought to choose you. And Father, as we ponder the great, great sacrifice you made, as we come to your table at your invitation, Lord, I pray our hearts would be stirred, just filled with gratitude at all we've been given, every spiritual blessing in Christ. So God, I pray we'd utilize it. We wouldn't be like William Randolph Hearst. You know, we, we would understand the catalog. We wouldn't search all over the world to find what we have in you and we had all along. Help us to realize it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.